Hello and welcome back to another edition of A Trip Down Vicarage Road, the Watford podcast which aims to interview former players, coaches and managers about their time on the Hornets. I'm your host Bradley Hayden, a freelance sports journalist, but most importantly, a massive Watford fan for over the last 10 years. Thank you so much to all those that tuned into our last podcast with Nigel Gibbs. I really hope you, you enjoyed listening to the former Watford Academy graduate and former Watford coach. Uh, since then, we've been away for a while. We, fi- we sort of finalised uh, new interviews uh, for us to, to do, uh, and we've been away on holiday, etc. And I'm sure in that meantime, we, you've seen we've had a bit of a rebrand with a new logo, uh, which was designed by Katie Whitting at Mont Designs. Thank you so much for her for doing that, and I couldn't recommend her highly enough for the work that she's done with that and I really feel we've got a new presence on social media and on SoundCloud and iTunes with that now Uh, so keep your eyes peeled out for that if you've not looked at it please do check it out this week we're back with a new podcast Uh, I know it's been a while but we're back we're back with a new podcast and this week I'm joined by an academy graduate uh, who went on to score 27 goals in 81 appearances in all competitions for Watford after he sort of was integrated into the side by Malky Mackay at the start of the 2010-11 season. Uh, I'm of course talking about Marvin Sordell uh, who all those will remember who had a fantastic partnership with Danny Graham during that uh, 2010-11 season. We finished 14th under Malky Mackay. They were prolific up front during that season. Obviously Danny Graham scoring 25 goals I think and Marvin had 15 in the end Uh, but Marvin's obviously been in the headlines recently because he's retired from the game due to uh, mental health age 28 so we'll touch on that and some of the mental health experiences he's had uh, and then we'll move on to talking about his time at Watford coming through the ranks at Vicarage Road what it was like working under Malky McKay and Sean Dyche the latter obviously now in charge of Burnley um, and we'll also get the tra- inside track on his move to Bolton on the final day of the tra- January transfer window in uh, January 2011 and much much more in this in-depth chat about his time at Watford uh, so please do uh, tune in and, and carry on listening and I hope you enjoy this latest podcast uh, with Watford Academy graduate Marvin Sordell. So on this latest edition of A Trip Down Vicarage Road, I'm joined by former Watford striker Marvin Sildell. Um, you may remember he scored plenty of goals for us during the 2010-11 season and the 2011-12 season under Malky Mackay and, and Sean Dyche. And obviously Marvin made a lot of headlines at the moment because um, he decided to retire from, from the game. And yeah. I'm sure he've had a lot of outpouring of support from that. Um but just for those uh, Watford fans who maybe don't know, could you maybe just a little explain why you've decided to retire now? Um, I just felt that I didn't enjoy being a professional footballer anymore. And I felt the time was right to move on and I guess take more control of my life and my situation. I, I'm definitely happy outside of the game, I feel. And so for me... It was definitely the right decision. And obviously, we've seen a lot of reports, a lot of few articles in the uh, in the press recently. You've done done stuff with the Guardian back in September. Recent article in the Sun as well, where you mentioned about how bad it got for you in terms of contemplating suicide as well. Yeah, I mean, I got to a low and a point where I actually attempted suicide. You know, I've, I've spoken about that quite openly, quite publicly, because I think it's important for people to understand really where I was at and where I got to because anybody who's in that situation now they don't want to hear fluff and they, they want to know they want to be able to attach themselves to a story that 
and believe that it's possible for them to come through and I got through it and off the back of that there were many positives that I had in my life you know without having suffered from depression I wouldn't be as strong or as confident as I am I wouldn't have started writing I wouldn't have started filmmaking and I wouldn't be sat here with a production company so yeah there, there are so many positives that you can gain off the back of despair and and lows but you just have to keep plugging away and just keep believing and and every single day just keep on going day by day mm. and i think after what, what you've gone for i think it's important to ask how are you now obviously after after your decision to retire i'm a lot happier now that i've retired i think over the last couple of months when things were a bit up in the air and not set in stone i was quite stressed you know i didn't report back for pre-season i was signed off for anxiety and depression and i i was really not knowing where i was going but i I definitely knew that i didn't want to go back and play football mm. i just knew that i was done and now that it's finished and that chapter's closed and it's all out in the open i feel a lot freer and happier moving forward mm much seen much of a as a role model now for others who are, who are going through mental health problems um a lot of people for me I, I think I said when we spoke for talk sport that I felt that you were the first footballer to come out and really make mental health an, an important issue and I think a lot of people have followed in, in your footsteps and become uh and, and have spoken about mental health a lot more freely and I think that's quite important because it's a massive issue it doesn't necessarily get the coverage that it deserves because we, we've seen the the stats about how, how much the public suffer from from mental health problems how a lot of both male and females suffer from it as well um so you you must be proud at the sense that you, you're now seen as an ambassador and it must be important for you that a lot of people speak openly about their, their troubles as well yeah i mean to be honest i just think it's it's very normal to discuss our emotions because our emotions are something that we have always had and will always have. Every single human being that's ever lived has had emotions. And yeah. We struggle to discuss them sometimes and it shouldn't be the case. It should yeah. just be, you know, today I feel down, I feel sad or I, I feel ecstatic and happy or I just feel flat and I, I can't really get myself going. It's just how you feel is is how you feel. It doesn't define who you are. You're not going to feel like that forever. And so being able to have these discussions in in public in not just in public but in the in the you know in the on a wider scale so not just keeping it to yourself is is important because people can help you. Mm. you know, I found that massively and I've had a lot of people reach out to me as well. You know, you can help other people by speaking about how you feel because you're never really going to know how the person across the room from you or next to you feels unless you tell them how you feel and then you have that conversation. You mentioned that you're now starting your your own production company, 180 Productions. Just give Watford fans a little bit of an insight into into that, if you if you could. Yeah, so we've I've as I said, I've been making visual content for some time now and made a couple of short films for. One you've seen, Dennis Pros, or may not have seen. Yeah. <laughs> um, but with the two friends that I made that and a couple other things, 
we decided to create our company off the back of our passions because we're all passionate about creating exciting and, and innovative visual content you know and about telling stories in interesting ways mm. and so that's something that we want to do going forward whether it's branding and advertising or a person's story or documentaries or or film work from whatever angle or whatever needs a story to be told whether it's a personal product we want to tell that story and so that's something that we're really excited about we've got a couple of things in the pipeline um one which of note which is a campaign we're doing for the charity calm which is a mental health charity that i'm an ambassador for um is a shirt raffle that's going to be launching on the 10th of september it's going to be a week-long campaign to get people to talk and the first talking point is the shirts the shirt yeah. raffle itself and of course on the back of it we're going to be looking to raise as much money as we can for this charity and create as much awareness about mental health as well and obviously wanted to get you on to speak about your time at, time at Watford and um, obviously you're massively successful at Watford um, your time at Watford you wanted to play for the under 21s and it was your form that got you into the, the GB team as well um, so, so how, do, how do you reflect at your time at Vicarage Road and I'm sure you know that the club has changed an awful lot since since you were there yeah it's changed a crazy man even just going back and seeing the stadium when it was just finished I couldn't believe my eyes um I mean, Watford, it feels like a lifetime ago. You know, it was the start of my career and the happiest and best I played, I'd say, throughout my entire career. Mm. And I put that mostly down to the environment, you know, the people that were around, whether it was fans or the players in the dressing room, the staff, everyone felt like a close-knit family Mm. and... It just created an environment that was enjoyable to be in, to play in. You know, win, lose, or draw, we'd always want to give our all. And we felt that the fans appreciated that as well. Because at other times in my career, that that wasn't the case. You know, it was you either win or you've not tried. Yeah. You know, every player tries all the time. You know, sometimes you you don't manage to achieve what you want to achieve. And, you know, that is just sometimes you just fall short and would you say the the Watford Academy you spent a lot of time in that would you say that had a, a big impact on, on you and your career as well yeah I mean fortunately we had a manager in the youth team that was you know became a successful first team manager so and was a successful professional football player so he gave us a lot of tips and tools and taught us to be professional football players from the age of 16, 17, whereas a lot of other youth teams you get kind of babied and, and nurtured in a different way so that when you step up from the 18s to the reserves or the first team, sometimes it's a bit of a culture shock, but we were exposed to quite a lot very early on mm. and whether that was playing style or the environment or just knowing how to grind through games, things like that, just just little things that you gain as you, you get more experience as a professional football player. We we got these things very early on. So for me it was I was very fortunate to have to have learned that so early on because it, it enabled me to kickstart my career so early as well. 
and I think a lot of Watford fans sort of remember know your you know your name because they've seen you on the on the bench a couple of times. They've seen your name mentioned. You've been around the squad, but it was it was the start of the 2010-11 season. I think a lot of people really started to take up and take notice of you because you started the first game against against Norwich and you didn't really look back. Obviously, played an important role in a couple of the goals, the link up play with with Danny Graham. So. How did, how did that feel sort of being thrown into the starting lineup at, at the start of the season? Um, I think pre-season I saw there was an opportunity because at the time Danny Graham was the only senior striker in the, at the club. They were trying to stru- sign Troy Deeney for yeah. the whole of pre-season. And other than that, there was myself, Lewis Young and Liam Henderson, I think, were the three young strikers that potentially were going to be playing or had a chance to be you know, pushed forward and it was just about trying to seize that opportunity and I I managed to play a lot in pre-season. The club didn't actually end up signing Troy until the evening yeah. of the first game, so I ended up starting the first few games and I scored one or two goals, I can't even remember. And It was actually the Doncaster game that I think really probably put me you know, properly out there and, yeah. and established me as first team player because I was on the bench that day and I think it was I remember that day very well played up front and I came on and I think we were 1-0 down and I scored two and from there I started the next few games and I think I went on a run of scoring like five and six or something like that I can't remember what it was and that period was kicked off from that Doncaster game and without that game who knows what could have happened I would have probably Stayed on the bench, you know. Troy was at the time a big money signing for, yeah. and, and so, five hundred thousand, something yeah. like that. So I would have stayed on the bench because you know, academy player over half million pound signing, which for what was a big deal at the time. So who knows what would have happened without those two goals? Yeah, and you mentioned Danny Graham there, and you, you had such a good relationship with him because if you weren't scoring, he was, and you were li- oh, you were you were you were linking up so well with him. Obviously, I, m- I remember that the Norwich game where obviously the little one-two between you and him got him in. Um, so many over Christmas period as well, like yeah. that season, you and him were were scoring goals for fun. I remember the Derby game, you and him both got on the score sheet. Portsmouth, we we beat at home. Uh, the Cardiff game as well. So. For you, it must have been great to to play along alongside him as, as such a young striker at the time. Yeah, I mean, at the time he was the best striker in the league. So for me to a be able to play with him to help him help me look better, sorry. Yeah. And to learn off him as well, which you know, someone who who had a lot of experience at that time as well. For me, I was only nineteen, so being able to learn off him and play with him was was great. Was that was that understanding? Because you had a great understanding with him. Was that something that just came instinctively, or did you did you work a lot on that in in pre season? No, it literally just it just clicked. I don't know what it was, but it just worked. I think probably just the way we played complemented complemented each other, and it just worked. And you mentioned Troy there. He's he's since gone on to become a, a legend at, at the club. Um, obviously, when when he first joined. Uh, things didn't quite work out for him. He was played played a lot on on the wing under Malky Mackay, and, and after you left to go to Bolton, he he started to score a lot more goals. And we know obviously what happened in that summer with him going to prison. But since that, he he 
he's reinvented himself. He scored a lot of goals for Watford. Um, a lot of people. He's become a real family man as well. And he's spoken quite openly about how he feels. He he's evolved as well, not only as a player but as an as an individual as well. So I just wanted to to get from you how how much has he changed since you 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 played with him? Um, I mean, I didn't actually end up playing with him yeah. for that long. Yeah, I think so. It's hard to to really say, but I mean how his career's gone on since it just shows how hard work prevails over everything else because mm. he's clearly a very very hard working man mm. and so you know all respect to him for the career he's had because you know I, I see from afar how hard he works and how hard he pushes everyone else around him as well so for him to have the career he's had it's no surprise really and as a young player in the team, it must have helped for you to have someone like John Eustace in, in midfield as well, a real, real captain's figure at, at the club as well. Yeah, Eustace was one of the greatest people to, to be around. He was just a great person anyway, but you know, a great leader. He'd, he'd help you out. He'd put your arm around you, he'd kick you up the arse. <laughs> he, he just did everything really. For, and, and especially at the time we had such a young team, he was just the person that just kept everyone together he knew when to keep a cool head he knew when to to lead from the front and and be the one roaring at the at the start so he he was just i think for most players at that time what he was the one that everyone looked up to it's might seem an odd question but did he practice overhead kicks much in training as well because i i remember the goal against coventry <laughs> and then after you left he scored another one yeah. against barnsley as well so he seemed to seemed to have a habit of popping up with one or two of them every every now and again i, I mean i don't know how he did it because he was a very <laughs> stiff man so. <laughs> but then he just pulled magic out of the bag so and yeah. adrian mariafra as well he's still at the club back in his yeah. his second spell at watford's in there he's always someone that's in and around the, the squad he's Seen, seen such a, a consummate professional as well and what was he like to play with you and did you know that he'd go on and play in the Premier League when, when you played with him as well? Yeah, I mean, he had, I mean, he, he has every everything to his game, mm. you know, whether it's physical attributes, technical, tactical and obviously he's versatile as well. You know, he played right back a lot at the time when I was there. You know, he's probably predominantly a centre-back but, you know, you, you've seen how well he's done in his career and, Again, someone who's got a great work ethic and is very professional and is a natural leader as well, I think. And obviously, that, that summer, at the end of the 2010-11 season, obviously, Malky went to, to Cardiff. Um, Danny Graham went to, to Swansea. And there was you. You became sort of the main the main man at the club. You were, you were, you were the, the guy the supporters thought, Marvin's going to score the goals for us. Did did you feel a sense of pressure stepping up that summer because you were you were a young you were a young guy and you were expected to be the the main goal scorer that season? Um, I didn't feel the pressure actually. Um, I think a maybe I didn't realise how much of a big yeah. deal it was, and I was because I was quite young as well, and it was only really my second. I was going into my second season, proper season as a professional. So mm. for me, I just wanted to do the same I wanted to play well score goals and hope that the team did well what, what was Sean Dyche like with you because you, you played with him at Watford and you also played with him at, at Burnley as well and we, we know what he, he's done at, at Watford he did a fantastic job that season obviously finished in 11th or 12th I think and obviously with the new ownership that summer 
he had new ideas and mm. Sean left the club but he's gone and had a great career at Burnley and I think you mentioned as well you played with him in the, in the under-18s as well and you mm. worked with him in the under-18s as well so I suppose you owe a lot to him in the way that you played with him in the under-18s and you played with him in, in the first team as well. Yeah, I mean, he's been my manager at every level. You know, 18s, reserves. His coach in the first team, became my first team manager. Then obviously took me to Burnley as well. So, you know, he's played a big part in my career as a player. And as obviously that personal development period from 16 to, to 18 as well, which is, you know, huge in football. So he was very much a person who... I looked up to and, and see I thank a lot for his support as well Was, was Malky much different from him? No they were, they were quite similar I'd say see I didn't have Malky from as young an age but see he gave me my first team debut at Sheffield United a long time ago now mm. and so you know again he's somebody that I owe a lot to as well because that first season he you know I was just a kid he didn't have to put me in he could have still stuck with Troy and because he was uh, the big money signing that's yeah. but you know he he saw something in me and, and gave me an opportunity to carry on playing and obviously the, the 2011 season started really well got, got a couple of goals against Birmingham I think and uh, obviously that, that kicked on to a, a really impressive first half of the season she scored against Portsmouth double against Doncaster as well and um that that was a really promising start to the season for you as well. You were performing well, scoring a lot of goals, um, and that ultimately led to, to Premier League interest at the time. Did you, did you know at the time that there were certain Premier League clubs tracking you? I I just seen and heard what everyone else heard and saw really. So on social media, newspapers, things like that. I didn't know anything other than that. To be honest. <laughs> That that well was he speaking on transfer deadline day, and um, a lot of Watford fans will remember um, your move to Bolton because it happened transfer deadline day, and that day was on the the last day of, of January. Watford were playing against Millwall. There was a lot of stuff. Is is Marvin going to stay? Is Marvin going to go? I think you were at the team hotel at the time, yeah. something like that, and then you got the call that you were going, and literally just to to race home and. Get up, get up to Bolton as quick as possible. So that, I think you said off air that was the most hectic day of of your career. Yeah, I mean, I was in the team hotel, got a call saying that Cardiff had, had I think they were putting a bid in, and it was going to be accepted. Would I want to go? And see, at the time they were, you know, towards the top of the league and pushing for promotion that season. I thought, well, it's a good opportunity to potentially play in the Premier League. So actually, yeah, I'd, you know, I'd go. Um, so I was actually I, I got on the t- well I didn't actually know what you know if, if anything had been accepted or whatever whatever this is just my agent saying to me would you be interested we the day carrying on as normal I was preparing for the game as normal mm. went into the team meeting before the game and I still I hadn't heard anything back so I assumed it was just playing so I was getting ready for myself yeah. getting myself ready for the game and didn't see my name in a team or on the bench and I thought well what have I done why yeah. am I not why am I not in the, in the squad and see Sean Dyche was manager at the time pulled me after the meeting said that the chairman had taken me out of the squad requested that I be taken out of the squad sorry 
so that that would have been seen at the time yeah. It? yeah so if anything happens then you know i can get off and so i got on the team bus to the game with the team not knowing if anything's going to happen yeah. I got a call saying Cardiff have had a bid accepted, so I'm going to get picked up and driven to Cardiff, even though at this point it's, what time was it? It was about seven o'clock. <laughs> and, you know, being in South London on a Tuesday night, trying to get to Cardiff before the deadline closes at, what, 11, I think it was? Yeah. Impossible. Yeah. <laughs> but I was being told I was going to get picked up and driven to Cardiff, so I said, okay. Um... And then about 15, 20 minutes later, I got a call saying, do I want to go to Bolton? And I thought, well, Premier League, huge club, potentially opportunity to play. This may never come again. Mm. So, okay, I'll, I'll go. <laughs> um, then was picked up at Mill Stadium, driven to the Watford Stadium, signed all paperwork um, to extend the transfer deadline or whatever it was mm. so at 11 o'clock still had more time because the amount of paperwork that goes into a transfer is is just ridiculous <laughs> you have to sign about eight copies of everything and there's about like god i think when you sign for a premier league team it's 10 times as much paperwork yeah. as signing for any other any other league and so i didn't actually get officially signed to bolton until about two three in the morning wow and at this point i all i had done is had a conversation on the phone with the manager and see hadn't met anybody from the club didn't have medical didn't uh, well the physio spoke to me for five minutes as well yeah. or the doctor even sorry said he looked on my wikipedia and haven't had any injury records so no need to do medical <laughs> and the next morning woke up at like nine or ten or something and was driving up to Bolton and that was it. <laughs> Did you ever meet Bassini during the time at Watford? Because he's someone who <laughs> divides a lot of opinion among among supporters and I'm sure he divides a lot of opinion among Bolton supporters as well, given his protracted takeover. I did. Several times. He was... He was a, an ever-present at the club, whether it was at the training ground or getting treatment on an injury that he had. So players would have to wait for him to you know injured players would have to wait for him to get treated before they could get treated or whether it was at the club awards with his um lady friends let's say <laughs> um yeah i I met him several times <laughs> wow um <laughs> that's all i can that's all i can yeah. say we, I've, I've heard a lot of him on the air on the radio recently, yeah. and I'm sure Bolton fans have uh, are sick of the sight of him as well. Um, but obviously, your form at Watford and saw you, you play for England under twenty ones. I remember your goal against um, it was at but I can't remember if it was against but it was at Barnsley Stadium. Yeah, we did the little Israel. did a little turn, top corner. That must be one of the the best goals you. I think maybe yeah, the best. That's the best. The best I've scored. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was as well. I mean, to score for England at that level. It was just like, a dream come true. And I was fortunate enough to score for the under-20s on my debut as well against France. And then scored him, made my under-21 debut at Vicarage Road, which was special. And then in this, my second game, scored my first goal for them. So 
it was great. Are there any goals for Watford that, that stick out for you in your memory? I remember maybe there was one for Card one for Cardiff that was quite good. Leicester, yeah. Is there is there any others that um, stick out for you? I scored a lot of headers. I don't mm. think I scored headers anywhere else. <laughs> so headers always stand out. Um I scored most of my goals for Watford, so I can't even remember all of them to be honest. Um and Obviously, Watford have had a successful season under Javi Garcia in, in, in the Premier League, finishing eighth, or finishing 11th rather, got to the FA Cup final. Just how far do you think they can go at the moment? I think when they got into the Premier League, it was to become, the aim was to become an established Premier League club. Yeah. And I think they're there now. And I think now it's breaking that, properly breaking that top half. They were very close last year. Mm. But I think Europa League is. What what for the look? You know, you look at the signings they've made, the amount they're signing players for. I think that is the target, really. You know, you look at the likes of Wolves and Everton. I, I can't even off the top of my head think of who who's in that kind of bracket. That that Leicester and Wolves and Leicester whatever. Yeah, well, that just outside the top six. You know, that kind of pushing for Europa League. I think that is Watford. <laughs> is is that's their next step, really? Like to to properly be in that category and you were sort of saying as well that uh, potentially moving back to around the area as well so I'm, yeah. I'm sure Watford fans will be uh, wondering if they might see you popping up at Vicarage Road every now and again yeah I'm, I'm moving back to Watford actually so as soon as I've, I've done that and I can get tickets to a game then I'll be at the Vic definitely and just three quick fire questions to, to uh, two, two or three quick fire questions to, to finish off um who was the funniest in the dressing room during your time at Watford? Probably John Eustace. Yeah? So, yeah. Did he get, what, what sort of pranks did he get up to? I can't remember. I just, he was just a just a very happy guy and he, yeah. he just always, he'd always try to, to make fun of everything. So, <laughs> yeah, I'd probably say John Eustace. Best goal, would that would that be the, the Leicester one, did you, do you think? Off the top of my head, the Leicester yeah. one, yeah. Yeah. And finally, who, who was the best player you played with at Watford? Tom Cleverley when he came online. Yeah. It was just outstanding. So that was my chat with Marvin Sordell. Really, really fascinating insight into that uh, final deadline day move to Bolton Wanderers and the impact that moving away from home had on him at such a young age. And uh, I do stress that if any of those out there are struggling with with depression or any other mental health problems like uh, Marvin has experienced, please do speak up. Please do speak to friends and family. And please do get the necessary help because it's so important that we speak openly about this about this issue, which Marvin has done. And to his credit um, and uh, yeah it was fascinating it was also fascinating to hear Marvin's insight into what Lawrence Bassini who's obviously in the news about his, his attempted takeover at Bolton Wanderers at the moment was like during his time at Watford if you have enjoyed this podcast please do like share and subscribe you can find us on Twitter by searching at Vicarage Road Pod you can find me on Twitter as well by searching at Bradley Hayden 11 if you've got any ideas for any future guests going forward you're more than welcome to get in touch by emailing a trip down vicarage road at gmail.com and you're more than welcome to send me a message on a, a vicarage at vicarage road pod all through my personal twitter account as well uh, if you have enjoyed this podcast please do like share and subscribe we're on soundcloud itunes and acast now if you just search a trip down vicarage road you'll be able to find uh, our latest podcasts thanks again for tuning in uh, i really hope you've enjoyed this and we'll be back soon with another uh, what 
Watford podcast with another uh, player or, represent, or coach or manager who has represented the Hornets previously. Uh, obviously, we're talking at the start of the season now, a bit of a disappointing start of a 3-0 defeat to Brighton uh, uh, on the opening day of the season. So, fingers crossed the players currently on the pitch can do the business. So, in the meantime, come on, you horns, um, and I'll be back soon with another latest podcast. <laughs>